hear from Pastor Tom. Good morning, everyone. Thank you again for welcoming us into your home here on this Lord's Day. We are looking forward to continuing to celebrate the resurrection of our Savior and gather together. Even though we're not together in body, we certainly are together in spirit with prayer. And if you're joining us for the first time or you're with us regularly, I want to invite you to grab a Bible, go get one off the shelf or um, find one, buy one, ask for one. But we are looking at some Psalms for a time like this. We're settling in for the long haul of this pandemic and we've been talking about the various ways that Psalms can be a help to us in a time like this. And so this morning we're going to be looking at a Psalm in the second book of the Psalms. It's actually Psalm number 42. So if you have your Bible, I want to invite you to turn to Psalm number 42 and we'll take a moment to pray and then we'll get started. Lord, we pray that you will bless your word. We pray that you will encourage us as we look at this psalm and we pray that you will help us to grow and point us to Jesus. We know that your spirit has to anoint your word and help us to understand it. So send forth the message of your word in power. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, this morning I want to share with you a psalm for helping us when we are depressed. You know, as, as we think about that word depression, that word is used all the time nowadays and I would suspect that some of you right now are pretty depressed. All of us have probably had a time at one point or another where we've asked ourselves, am I depressed or someone else? Is he depressed? I wanna suggest that as we begin this psalm, I wanna point out that I think that this man was clearly depressed. But before we throw words like depression around, I wanna remind you that there are a variety of nuances and connotations to, to the idea of being depressed. In fact, it might be safe to say there, there's probably a difference between a spiritual-related depression and what some might say is simply a physical depression, maybe caused by a chemical imbalance. I, I, I want to kind of think carefully here and say this can be particularly hard to separate because our body and our souls are so intricately woven. And so it's very hard to sometimes say, oh, this is simply a biological, physiological depression. Oh, this is a spiritual depression. This one takes medicine. This one takes scripture. I think we have to look at this holistically and, and begin by asking maybe something as simple as this. As I try to maintain a balance, what are, what are some of the symptoms of, of a person feeling depressed? I mean, obviously we'd say, well, yeah, they're feeling sad, but from a clinical standpoint, Physicians and psychologists will often ask, you know, they'll look for patterns like, have you had a change in your appetite? Have you had a change in your sleeping patterns? Maybe you, you never want to get up because your only consolation is sleeping. Or you can't sleep. You wake up when you don't want to and you have racing mind. We often find that people who are depressed cry a lot or, or feel like they could just come to tears very easily. Sometimes depressed people have an overwhelming sense of of guilt and condemnation. 
One of the symptoms of depression is a loss of interest in the things one normally enjoys. Maybe a, a mother loves to, to take the kids to the playground. She doesn't want to do that anymore. A, a man who might love to go fishing or work in the garden or whatever. Sometimes just a loss of interest in the things you normally enjoy. A, a generalized sadness. And then, then there are even particulars of depression. Some people are, are, are very distressed over one painful and recurring thought. They have sometimes a debilitating feeling of anxiety, uh, a worry. Some people experience panic attacks, enormous anxiety. And it's, 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 it's really important to understand these symptoms can be very, very difficult. And, and, and even along with that, we then have to ask, well, what are the causes of this? Why do people fall into these, these bouts of what we would call some form of depression. And, and of course, it's important to recognize that sin can be a cause of depression. But I want to be careful to recognize that it's not always a cause of depression, but sometimes sin does lead to depression. Psalm 32, David said, when I kept quiet about my sin, day and night your hand was heavy upon me. And so a believer who's living in unconfessed sin can, can have a, an oppression about them. In fact, unresolved anger allows Satan to, to, to bring things into our lives that can be painful. Psalm or Ephesians 4 says, don't let the sun go down on your anger. Don't give the devil an opportunity or a place. And so sin can be a cause of depression, but, but that's not the only cause. We don't want to be too trivial. Certainly, tragic circumstances can lead to depression. We all know that people who suddenly lose a loved one can, can fall into a, a deep depression. Sometimes there are biological um, intricacies. Sometimes women, after having a, a child, and, and the change in their emotions and body chemistry can lead to a postpartum depression. And there's been enough data out there to seem to suggest that people can have biological uh, forms of depression that, that somehow you begin to see patterns in parents and grandparents and aunts and uncles and you start going, seems like maybe some manner of depression may run in that family. And I think those who have experienced depression have sometimes felt like it just snuck up on you. You don't go to bed one day happy and wake up the next day feeling incredibly depressed but often there's this combination of things but before you realize it you start to go wow I, i'm pretty depressed so, so what do i do well today's psalm offers us help for the depressed and even if you're not depressed right now from the covid you may be ministering to someone who's depressed or you may at some point down the road experience depression and so I want to be careful to note here, first of all, that I'm not a doctor, and I want to encourage people to explore depression holistically, but I think it's important to start with the soul when at all possible. And be sure as you're seeking advice and counsel that the counsel and advice that you give or get is rooted in Scripture. The Bible says, be careful lest anyone take you captive through empty traditions according to the principles of men rather than according to Christ. So there are a lot of people out there that might be proposing Christian counseling, but make sure that that counseling is grounded 
in Scripture, that it doesn't contradict Scripture. And of course, there's some good books out there. I want to recommend two books that I have found helpful on spiritual depression. One of them is a, a classic by Martin Lloyd-Jones. It's called Spiritual Depression, Its Causes and Its Cures. And then there's an old classic, a Puritan classic by a man by the name of Thomas Brooks. And I really like this book. It's called Precious Remedies Against Satan's Devices. So those might be two books and you don't have to come up afterward and ask me. You can just replay the, the video if you, if you didn't write that down. But today's psalm that we're going to look at is an interesting psalm because many theologians believe that it's actually connected to the next psalm. So Psalm 42 and 43 is often considered to be the same psalm or written by one author because of a similar refrain in both of the psalms. If, if you look at the structure of where this psalm is located, you'll notice in your Bible that it says book two. And I want to remind you in our first sermon that we mentioned that though the psalms have 150 chapters, they're divided into four, I'm sorry, five books. And so whoever edited and compiled these psalms, these first two psalms seem to be part of this second unit and they are referred to as a psalm of lament. Now one of the things that's interesting when you read a psalm is to try to ask yourself, what was going on in this person's life? What was it that they were praising God for or what was their problem? So some psalms aren't necessarily rehearsing a problem. Last week's psalm was just rejoicing in God's power and praising God for his wonderful works and his kingdom. But this morning, as I was studying this, I found that theologians and, and biblical scholars in the past are sort of divided on the background of this psalm. Some people believe that this psalm was written by David when he was fleeing from King Saul. And you'll remember that. David, when he was in hiding from King Saul, it was a pretty tough time, and you can read about that in the book of 1 Samuel, but he was unable to participate in temple worship. David, who loved to sing and praise God. So it could be written by David during the time that he's fleeing from Saul, or even maybe when he was fleeing later from his son Absalom when he was the king. But others believe that it was written by a priest because it says here that it is a masculine of the sons of Korah, now you remember that the, the, the sons of Korah were a tribe of the Levites who were entrusted with the care of the temple furniture. And these descendants of Korah, uh, if you read about Korah, that was a, a, a bad, bad start. Korah, the earth swallowed him up and you could read about the rebellion of Korah in the book of Numbers. But if by God's grace, these are some of his descendants who survived, it appears that this particular man was in exile somewhere. He wanted to be in Jerusalem, but he was unable to be there, and he was experiencing intense depression. So we're going to read these two psalms together, but I want to preface by having you, as we read, be looking for a couple things. Number one, I want you to look for descriptions of his painful condition. Look at the terms that he uses to describe his emotions. See what he's going through. Secondly, look for any questions that he asks himself or any questions that he asks God 
and then look for any resolutions. What is he gonna do about this? So I wanna suggest that if this was like a hymn, you know that each hymn has a refrain that you will repeat after each line. So I wanna suggest that there are three times in this Psalm 42 and 43 where he gives us his refrain. The first one is found in verse five, where he says, why are you in despair, O my soul? The second one is found in verse 11, why are you in despair, O my soul? And then the third one is found in Psalm 43, verse five, why are you in despair, O my soul? So this morning, we're gonna read these two Psalms, and again, let's try to figure out what is going on in this man's life, what's his pain? So have your Bible and carefully follow along, feel free to underline things or, or be thinking of questions in your mind. So the psalmist begins by describing his pain as the deer pants for the water brooks. So my soul pants for thee, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night while they say to me all day long, where is your God? These things I remember and I, I pour out my soul within me. And as his mind goes back to his past, he says, for I used to go along with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God. So he's thinking back to these events where maybe at the Passover feast, he was actually part of playing the trumpet and leading people, great crowds of Jews in the worship of God. He said, I remember with the voice of joy and thanksgiving a multitude keeping festival. But somehow that's a distant memory. And so the first refrain, verse five, why are you in despair, O my soul? Is a question. He asked himself, why have you become disturbed within me? And then look at his resolution. Hope in God, for I shall again praise him for the help of his presence. And now we have what we might say this, the second the second stanza. And again, let's look at his condition. Oh my God, my soul is in despair within me. Now this is an interesting verse. Where is he that he says this? Therefore I remember you from the land of the Jordan. Some people think this is up north near the Sea of Galilee. I remember you from the peaks of Hermon which were in northeast of the land. I remember you from the land or the Mount of Mizar, which was a small hill away from Jerusalem. So he's clearly not in Jerusalem, but he's, he's remembering God from this distant location. And then he uses a metaphor. He says, deep calls to deep at the sound of thy waterfalls. And just last fall I was able to go up in Israel and they actually do have in northern Jordan some rushing springs that are coming down into the Sea of Galilee that are really loud. And so some suggest that he's listening to these waterfalls. Others think that he's talking here about a great um, 
natural phenomena when a stormy sea is met by a great squall of wind and it's almost like they're talking to each other. Deep calls to the waters above, the deep calls to deep. But, but he's using these waterfalls as a metaphor of his personal pain. All thy breakers and thy waves have rolled over me. It's like a, a surfer who has fallen off of his, his board and he's just tumbling along a coral reef being blasted by these great waves. But verse eight, he says, the Lord will command his loving kindness. What does that mean? The Lord will command his loving kindness. And by the way, he's gonna do it in the daytime. And he will command his song. And thus that song will be with me in the night. And that song will be a prayer to the God of my life just to God, but to the God of my life. So look at his resolve. I, I will say to God, my rock. Now he's not asking himself. Now he's talking to God. Why have you forgotten me? He asks himself, why are you cast down? Now he says to God, why have you forgotten me? Why? Why, God, do I go on mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? Note here that there's this Familiar cliche, it's not ours to ask why. Can I just suggest here, that's nonsense. It's certainly ours to ask why. Even Jesus, as he hung on the cross, said, why have you forsaken me? God doesn't guarantee us. He's not obliged to answer. There's absolutely nothing wrong with asking why. And then he describes pain caused by others. He says, as a shattering of my bones, my adversaries revile me. Verse nine, why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As a shattering of my bones, my enemies and adversaries revile me. They say to me all day long, where is your God? Same thing he said in verse three. And here's the second refrain. Why are you in despair, O my soul? Why have you become disturbed within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him. He adds that, I shall yet Praise him, the help of my countenance and my God. Now, as I said, many believe that verses one through five of Psalm 43 may indeed be part of this earlier psalm. These verses were added later. It is interesting that there's no superscript telling us another masculine of David. Secondly, it has the same refrain at the end. So let's just continue to read as though this were one psalm. Now he talks to God. He says, vindicate me, O God. Plead my case against an ungodly nation. So apparently there were people in power who were against him. O deliver me from the deceitful and unjust man. So his troubles weren't just internal, they were external. And then he says to God, for you, God, are the God of my strength. Why have you rejected me? Remember earlier, why have you forgotten me? Why have you rejected me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? Oh, send out your light and your truth. God, send reinforcements, send for help. 
like Davy Crockett at the Alamo, God, would you send me some, some reinforcements? Send out, now look what he asks for. Send out your light and your truth and let them, your light and your truth, lead me. So somehow he's in darkness, but he goes, God, if you send me your light and your truth, it'll lead me. It's gonna take me somewhere. Look what he says. Let them bring me to your holy hill. Probably here, Jerusalem. Let your light and your truth bring me back to your dwelling places. That's pretty interesting. Lord, lead me home. And if you do, verse four, then I will go to the altar of God. You see his longing to get back to Jerusalem. Then I will go to God. And look how he describes God here. My exceeding joy. He thinks of former times when he used to play on the worship team. He says, upon the lyre. Just yesterday I was watching Jeopardy and one of the questions was, what instrument is this? And you'd listen, sound like a harp. And they said, that's a lyre. Upon the lyre I shall praise you, O God, my God. And then this refrain, why are you in despair, O my soul? Why are you disturbed within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him. The help of my countenance and my God. Don't you wish that you could have heard David sing this? Well, the next best thing is that this chorus has been put to a song and we're gonna sing again. We're gonna get these songs in our heart. Benjamin and the worship team are gonna lead us in a song that comes out of this very precious stanza. So, with that in mind, I want you to consider that this entire section these are the type of songs, these are the type of psalms that are going to carry you. They have substance. They're not necessarily designed to bring all kinds of emotional dancing and glitter and glee and giddiness. But these are the songs that, that, will, that will take you through the dark nights of your soul. And so they're well worth rehearsing and investing. I want to look at two things here as we, as we go through this psalm now just in our time left. Number one, I want us to learn that when we're depressed, it's important to describe your painful condition. Describe your painful condition. In other words, analyze your painful thoughts. Think about what you're thinking about. Try to ask yourself, what's really got me down? And then try to put it into words as you're counseling others. Ask them, you know, describe those feelings to me. Maybe even write it down. I found as I looked through this that there were actually seven ways that this man described his painful condition. And we'll just look at them quickly. Number one, he felt abandoned or disconnected from God. He said in verse two, when shall I appear before God? In verse three, he said, my enemies are saying, where is your God? In verse nine, he said, why have you forgotten me, God? So he felt a sense of just forsaken and abandoned by God, disconnected from God. We've all felt that where, where, where we just, the heavens are brass and we feel like God is, has forgotten us. But secondly, and this was really interesting, he was really depressed because he was unable to be part of corporate worship. 
He wasn't satisfied to say, well, I can just be on my deer stand and worship God. He wanted to be with the people of God, following the prescribed way that God demanded worship in the Old Testament. It wasn't a Burger King free-for-all. God said, you shall worship me at my house, participating in these festivals. Much like today, the Lord says, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. God's goal is to gather us into local churches to worship him together. But notice that the psalmist, as he grieved, in verse four, I pour out my soul because I used to go to the throng. I used to be with, with other believers worshiping God. And you know, as I, as I read this, I was convicted. And I want you to ask yourself, how are you feeling about being disconnected? Because I know it's, it's kind of easy to go, you know what I like about this online church? I can eat my breakfast. I can just cut it off when I want. You know, we notice how, you know, how many people stay on and how many people, we don't know individually, but I doubt that during a regular service, half of you would get up and leave whenever you wanted. But in the, in the shadows of anonymity, you could just go, hey, you know, well, that's, so I want to encourage you to really search your heart as I've searched mine and say, you know, I don't want to be comfortable with my online church where I can sit in my jammies and worship at my home. But you'll notice that he also used terms to describe his extreme emotional pain. Verse three, he mentions tears. Verse five, he mentions despair and being disturbed. Verse six, he says, I'm in despair. Verse nine, he says, I'm mourning. Verse 11, he says, I'm despair and disturbed. In chapter 43, verse two, he says, I'm mourning because of my enemies. So this man was troubled. I want to recommend a book by Ed Welch called Depression, A Stubborn Darkness. And when you're depressed, the one thing that Ed Welch said is in, introdu in his introduction was as, as they interviewed great people throughout history to experience, who experienced severe depression, the one word that they all used to describe it was hell. And sometimes it makes you wonder that the emotional pain of depression could perhaps rival or even surpass physical pain because maybe a broken body but a happy soul might be easier to endure than a crushed, despondent soul. This guy felt unfairly treated by God. He felt trashed by God. Look at verse seven. He said, all your breakers and your waves have rolled over me. And sometimes we go, Lord, you know, why, did, why me? Why my job? Why my marriage? Why my kids? Why my family? And sometimes we get resentful. In addition, not only was this man hurting in his relationship with God, he had been hurt on a horizontal level. People were hurting him. He said, they say to me, verse three, where is your God? Look how he described the pain that other people were causing him from their words. In verse 10, he says, as a shattering of my bones, my enemies revile me. Whoever said sticks and stones may break my bones, but names will never hurt me is an idiot. Words are painful. Words can crush us. Words can have very, very lasting pain in our lives. And so some of you may be deeply depressed because people hurt you. They really did. They abused you. They mistreated you. They neglected you. Now, that doesn't excuse you to hurt others 
hurt people hurt people. It doesn't give you an alibi for your sins, but it's a reality to say sometimes our pain and our depression was because people hurt us. And finally, I want you to notice that this man longed for the past. In verse four, he said, these things I remember. He thought back to the good old days. And then in verse six, he says, I remember thee. And sometimes it's difficult because when we're in severe pain, we would long to go back to the good old days when things were honky-dory. And even as we go through the COVID virus, one of the things that Benjamin's mentioned here is that this week we're gonna talk about some of the things that we miss. You kids are doing epic things that we miss. But sometimes as Christians, we go through a difficult time, we sort of reminisce in the past. And I wanna suggest that that's not a good idea to live in the rearview mirror for two reasons. Number one, Satan wants you to live in the rearview mirror of your past failures. He wants to drag your ball and chain the rest of your life and remind you, God can't use you, you're a failure. But he also has a tendency to cause us to look back like the Israelites and say, gee, I wish I was back there. Things were better back then when I was in Egypt, when in fact they weren't better. We deceive ourselves. And so better advice is to, is to as Paul said, forget what lies behind and press on one day at a time walking with Jesus. So, so we've learned here that, like the psalmist, you describe your painful condition, you, you analyze it. But secondly, then, then we, we, we determine a biblical solution. What am I gonna do about it? Am I just gonna sit around and have a pity party? Am I gonna wallow in my pain or am I just gonna hide under my covers? And I wanna suggest briefly here that there are three things that this psalmist did that we can learn from him. Number one, he required his heart to keep trusting God. He did not let his body be a, a bad master, but he taught his soul to be a good slave. So he talks to himself. It's not always a terrible idea to talk to yourself. Look at verse five. He asks himself, why are you in despair, O my soul? Why have you become disturbed within me? And then he, he requires himself to do something. He urges himself. He makes a request of his own soul. Hope in God. Keep trusting God. Don't give up. Tell yourself, Lord, help me to keep trusting you. Now, I want to point out here that this is not simply self-help or stoic self-determination. This is not the little train who think I can. You're depressed and you go, I'm just going to go for it. No, it's, it's hard and holy dependence on God where you're determined come hell or high water by God's grace I am going to keep trusting God oh my soul put your hope in God but why why should I put my hope in God he's rejected me well that leads to the second thing the way that we're going to require our soul to trust in God is to remember what the scriptures teach us about God you have to do some thinking here it really struck me all of the things that the psalmist said about God. Verse two, he said, I wanna come before the living God. He's not some dead statue. The apostle Paul said to the Thessalonians, you turn to, to God from idols to serve the living God. He's a real, living, active, personal God. He's also a helping God. In verse five, 
Hope in God, for I shall praise him. The help of his presence. Remind yourself that God is a helping God. He doesn't stand there and say, figure it out. He is waiting to help us. Third, he's a God who sends us loving kindness and songs. Look at verse eight. He says, the Lord will command his loving kindness in the daytime. How did he know that? How did he know that God was looking down on his despair and he would send him a batch of loving kindness and put a song in his heart? Because he knew what the scripture said. He knew the covenant that God made in the Ten Commandments. I am a God full of compassion, full of mercy, full of love, and a God who will give you a song to help you. Notice also in verse eight, he said, the Lord is the God of my life. He's not just this distant God. He's, he's my God. He's not just the God of my religion. He's the God of my life, my finances, my recreation, my inner man, my outer man. Everything I do, I belong to him. He's the God of my life. He's also a rock. Look at verse nine. He says, I will say to God, my rock. So God's living. He's my rock. A, a, a rock is a place of security, a place of safety, a, a place of steadiness, a place where you, you, you feel grounded. He's also a God of strength. He's a God who gives us strength. Look at verse two of chapter 43. He said, you are the God of my strength. And then notice that he also believes that God is a God whose word is gonna help him. Look, look at verse 43, verse three. He said, send your light and your truth and let them bring me. He knew that God's word would bring him back. He knew that the word of God was a lamp to his feet and a light to his path. And then finally, he knew that God was his only true source of joy. He said of God in chapter 43, verse four, then I will go to God my exceeding joy. And you know, we often tell you as you read the Old Testament, everything points us to Christ. And I wanna remind you that Jesus is a sacrificial savior. He's full of love and he died for all of our sins. He's a succoring savior. He will help you. He's the one who can sympathize and give us help. He's a steady savior. Hebrews 13, seven says he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's the one that said, build your house on this rock. Come to Jesus, the steady savior. He's a strength providing savior. Jesus knows our weakness and he gives us strength. And he's a satisfying savior. As, as David described God as his exceeding joy, we who know Jesus, we find living water from him. We find in him that well of water that springs up into everlasting life and we gladly say, I'd rather have Jesus than silver and gold. And I want you to think of the songs that we sing that relate to these great truths. Redeemed how I love to proclaim it, why? He giveth me songs in the night, our God who helps us with songs. We sing about God our strength. Child of weakness, watch and pray. You are my strength when I am weak. Jesus paid it all, find in him, you're all in all. And so we sing about these things. We sing about thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. We sing of Jesus being my guide, holding me to our side. And so remind yourself if you're depressed today that Jesus loves you 
and remind yourself what the Bible teaches about him. He'll never leave you nor forsake you. But thirdly, once you have described your condition to God, once you've, you, 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 you've, you've started to, to require your soul to hope in God and, and you remember what the Bible teaches about God, then you've got to make resolutions. Here's what I'm going to do differently. And the third and final thing is this, to resolve to keep praying and praising God. To resolve to keep praying and praising God. I am not going to let the devil bring me under. C.S. Lewis said, don't let your hope be plowed under. Picture a big snowfall coming down upon you and you're just not going to let that. But by God's grace, you're going to keep on singing and you're going to keep on praying. There are a number of places in here. The psalmist mentioned the prayer to the God of my life. Several times in this psalm, he says, I will say to God. He was resolved that he would stay on his knees. I was reminded here of Paul and Silas when they were in, in prison in Philippi. What did they do as they were just beaten and in stocks? At midnight, they were praying and singing praises. Resolve through this time of darkness. The weeping may last for a night and it might be a long dark night of the soul but a shout of joy is coming and you're going to continue by God's grace to ask others to pray for you. Remember that old song of the Imperials. Praise the Lord. He can work through those who praise him. When your hopes are cruelly crushed by Satan's manifested schemes, praise the Lord. And then I love this line. For the chains that seem to bind you fall powerless behind you when you praise him. And so as we close this morning, I trust that God's word has been an encouragement to you and that regardless of your situation, that you'll go back, maybe even memorize part of the psalm, learn the song that we're about to sing and let's cling to Jesus, cling to one another and let's finish well, trust and obey. There's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. And if you're not a Christian this morning and you're still figuring this out, I want to tell you this, Jesus loves you, he died for you, he paid the full penalty from your sin so that you could be forgiven. There's nothing you can do to earn your salvation. You just come to him, you repent, you're willing to follow him, and you believe that he died and rose again. You surrender yourself and you trust him. And Jesus said, anyone that comes to me, I won't cast out. Lord, thank you for this time in your word. May we be encouraged to hang on and hope in God. As we sing this song, Lord, may we just rise up in our souls, helped by the strength of Jesus, who's coming again for his church. In Jesus' name, amen.